shall. Good morning, everybody. Woo! It's been a minute since I then since I have been able to do this, and I am excited to bring God's word and share it with you today. I hope you're excited as well. Um, it's been about six years, so I'm super blessed, super honored to have this opportunity. Um, I don't know about you, but I love a good restoration story. Do you got do you got any restoration fans here? Who likes HGTV? Huh? Yes, love to watch the episodes where they take an old house and they restore it or they take some rooms in a house and they remodel them. Um, I like watching stuff on like restoring bikes and appliances and toys, things like that. But by far the thing that I like to watch the most is YouTube videos about old cars being restored. And uh, right now, my mom and I are in the process of restoring my dad's 69 Javelin uh, that you probably saw as you pulled in the parking lot uh, this morning. That was my visual aid for you guys. It was a little bit of a cold drive coming in, but, you know, you, you suffer through. The, the heating system has not been restored yet on that. But I was praying for warm weather, but at least we had sunshine. But there's something about taking something that's old and worn out and beat up, and making it look like new again. So my question for you today is this, though. Is your faith in need of restoration? Is your faith feeling kind of old and worn out and beat up? You know, sometimes I wonder if uh, God feels like our relationship with him is kind of like buying a new car. Uh, now, I don't know what that's like. I drive a 1991 Buick Roadmaster station wagon. So, but some of you do, and the rest of us can probably imagine. And maybe it's a, it's a vehicle that you've wanted for a long time. It's something you've really been after. Maybe it's a convertible. Maybe it's a sports car. Maybe it has just that really eye-popping color or the right options. And so you go to the dealer and you, you, you purchase it. You start driving it and you love it. It's like everything you could have hoped for. And, and, you know, naturally you keep driving it and some, once in a while a repair is needed and creeps up. And so you get those repairs fixed. But inevitably, over time, as the miles get higher, the car gets a little more worn out. It needs a lot more repairs. And you have to figure out what to do with that car. You love this car. And so you don't want to get rid of it. And so maybe you decide to, you know what, I'm just going to park it in the tree row in the back 40. And just kind of leave it back there for a while. Because you don't want to get rid of it. And so this week in the story, we're in the book of Ezra. And so if you want to take out your Bibles or get on your phone apps, uh, the blue Bibles have, uh, they don't have bookmarks. I forgot to have the kids change those. Sorry, kids. Although that section does. Uh, but it's on page 402 in the blue Bibles that are in the baskets in your rows. And I'm going to pray real quick before we dive into God's word. Father, thank you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And God, I pray that you use your powerful word to direct our hearts and our thoughts today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, if you remember back probably three or four weeks ago, Pastor Tamar uh, preached on Jeremiah. And and Jeremiah was a prophet who God sent to really warn the Israelites of that they better straighten up or else there's trouble coming. And so 
um, I want to revisit a few of those verses just to get our minds in the right uh, framework of where we are at in today's story with the Israelites. And so uh, let's go to Jeremiah 25, uh, verse 11 and 12. It should be up on the screen here. And, it, and Jeremiah, when he prophesied, he warned them and he said this, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it, a des- make it desolate forever. But then later on, he also prophesied this in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, verse 10 and 11. Uh, he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And so, it's a good thing that God made this promise to the Israelites. Because what Jeremiah said took place. And the Babylonians came into Judah and they laid waste to the city of Jerusalem, including the temple of God, where the Israelites worshipped God, where they met with him, where his presence was. And those who survived this attack were then carried off into captivity into Babylon to serve them there. But God, like he said in the prophet, in the prophet uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, after the 70 years were up, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians. So now in our story in Ezra, the Persians are the ones that are in charge, but the Israelites are still in Babylon. And I got to imagine that uh, they're feeling pretty, pretty broken, pretty beat up, and, and in need of their faith to be restored. Now, 70 years is a very long time. I mean, we have a hard time waiting for like a cup of coffee for like five minutes. Can you imagine waiting 70 years? That's a whole generation that's gone by. So I imagine the words of Jeremiah were like holding on to gold while they were there in Babylon. So the rest of... uh, Actually, let me back up a little bit. Let's go to chapter 1 in Ezra. I think my pages are out of order. Give me just a second here. Where is it? There it is. All right, so chapter 1, verse 1 in Ezra. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. It says, this is what the king, Cyrus, king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, The people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so we see in chapter 1 that the king has made a decree to rebuild the temple. And so the rest of chapter 1 talks about how the 
how the temple's to be funded on that rebuild project. Uh, chapter 2 talks about who all went back to Jerusalem. Um, and then when we get to chapter 3, we're going to talk about when they arrive at Jerusalem. But can you imagine? So chapter 2 talks about, it, it lists the family names of those who went back. And there was almost 50,000 people that went back on this road trip. Can you imagine taking a road trip with 50,000 people? Can you imagine how many times they heard, Are we there yet? I'm hungry. I have to go to the bathroom. 50,000 people. You thought your road trips were bad in your little SUVs and minivans. So I imagine there was some excitement, but that was probably a long journey for them. And then when they get back to Jerusalem... They see the city, and then it's like, this is going to be a lot of work. They're excited to be home, but this restoration process is huge. And it's kind of like God bringing that, that car back up and putting it in the driveway. And he's like, it's a lot of work to get this thing back in place, back to where it's shiny and new. And not only that, there's some neighbors around them that are giving them kind of some dirty looks. They're like, what's this hunk of junk in the driveway? I don't want to look at that all the time. And so they're like, I don't know, I might decide to call the HOA on them or something and get that thing out of here. So not only was this a huge restoration project, but they've got some neighbors around them that are making them a little bit nervous. So let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jezodak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they build the altar on its foundation and sacrifice burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. So we see from this passage that the first step in the restoration process is to rebuild the altar. It's to rebuild the altar of worship. You know, when restoring a car, it's a good idea to start with the engine. Uh, the engine's kind of the heartbeat of the car, right? Like, if you don't have an engine that runs and you would spend time fixing up the rest of the car, it's not going to go anywhere. There's no point. And for the Jews, the altar is the heart of worship. It's where they would come and they would lay down their offerings to the Lord. And they would meet with Him and they with Him. And they would receive blessing and forgiveness and, and healing in their lives. And without a heart that seeks worship, faith can't really be restored. It has to start with a heart of worship. And you may be wondering, well, that's great, Pastor Eric, but like if I have a heart that's indifferent or or it's just kind of callous to worship, like how do I rebuild my heart? Like how do I jumpstart that and make it run again? Well, the answer is you got to have an altar moment with God where you come and you bring him your dead heart. 
And you ask him to breathe new life into it. You ask him to rebuild it for you. But, and he is faithful to do that, by the way. If we're to lay down our heart before him on the altar, he will rebuild it. But there's more to restoring the faith than just rebuilding the heart, rebuilding the altar. There's more than just having that, uh, that engine running, right? Because you got a lot else you got to fix up on this restoration process. So the Israelites took the next step in the process of restoring their faith. And we're going to read it here in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So the second step step in uh, faith restoration is to restore the foundations of faith. Uh, for the Israelites, rebuilding the temple really meant solidifying their faith once again. They would have that place to worship God and meet with him and they with them. But just like your car needs more than an engine to run, it needs a solid frame. It needs suspension to keep that car up. It needs brakes that know when to stop the vehicle. And so you may need a step in your faith such as prayer or regular scripture reading, or developing a rhythm of Sabbath, meeting in Christian community, serving. These are foundations of the faith that are needed in order for the temple of God to stand up. So if you want to have a strong and meaningful faith, it's not enough just to have a change of heart and show up at the appointed times of worship. you got to have a solid foundation of faith. So the Jews finish rebuilding the foundations of the temple and they're, they're celebrating, they're excited, and everything seems to be going so well until the nosy neighbors show up. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple of the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Hey, let us uh, help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Asar Hadan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So it's inevitable that when you're doing a restoration project, you're going to face obstacles. 
In the case of like restoring a car, there's sometimes like I can't find a part I need. That's an obstacle. There's sometimes, uh, you know, when you face it, problems with funding the project. There's sometimes where you just don't have time because of other things. There's sometimes when you take it to a restoration shop and you have it painted, but they really mess up the paint job, and then you got to find somebody else to do it. Not that that's happened, thankfully, yet. We haven't got it painted yet. Um, but there's always obstacles you face in any restoration process. <clears throat> and it's no different with the Jews here. And even though they started off strong, kind of pushing back those nosy neighbors, you know, they, uh, these weren't just any neighbors. These, these were neighbors from the northern kingdom. And the Israelites in the northern kingdom, they, they, they had a watered down faith. They gave in to cultural exceptions and started worshiping other gods. And so, yeah, they wanted to come and help the Jews, but this is just one of the gods that they would like to worship. And so the Jews were like, no, no, we're, we're good. We're going we're gonna to build this thing because that's what we were called to do. And they didn't want the watered-down faith of the people around them to influence the true faith that God was rebuilding in them. However, the enemies of God are not easily uh, gotten rid of. You know, the enemies of God, they want you to fail. Satan wants you to fail in the restoration of your faith. And so there's two obstacles that we see the, the Jews face uh, more, than, more than anything else in this restoration process. And the first obstacle they face is opposing voices. And opposing voices no doubt lead to fear and doubt. Deceptions, threats, bribes, false accusations, you name it, they experienced it. Now, now you guys might not have like an entire nation coming against you, right? That doesn't really happen in our life. But you may have a coworker that spreads rumors and lies about you, trying to ruin your reputation. They may even say something to the boss, like these guys did with the king. You may have a family member that keeps wanting to bring up your old way of life because it somehow makes them feel better about the sins they're committing. But I think for a lot of us, the voices, the opposing voices we hear are the ones right in here. The, the voices that say you're not good enough. The voices that say you're not capable enough. You're going to fail, so why even try? These are the kind of voices that can stop a restoration process. And I'll be honest, guys, like, these are some of the voices that I heard, even as I prepared this message. And they're the same voices that I've heard most of my life. That's why it's important to build up your faith. And so for six years, the nosy neighbors frustrated the Israelites. They sent letters to the kings, to the bosses, making false accusations. And uh, when the voices got so loud and so strong, 
it actually caused the Jews to stop building. Because they began to doubt whether or not this was actually God's plan. And so that leads us to the second uh, obstacle when, when uh, God is restoring your faith. And that's distractions. They started doing other things as opposed to, to doing the thing that God had called them to do. Distractions are a pretty regular occurrence in a restoration process as well. Um, you know, life, things happen, we're busy. You know, sometimes the kids are involved in too many extracurricular activities. Sometimes the house, there's too many house projects. Sometimes the, you know, you get lazy and you're just spending too much time on TV or TikTok or something. You know, there's always something that can distract us from the thing that we set out to do. And for the Israelites, ten years go by. Ten years. And nothing was being done to rebuild the temple of God. They've been very distracted, as we all get sometimes in our faith walk. But what are they distracted by? Let's flip over to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. It's usually only two pages. And it's, it comes later in the Old Testament. You might have to look that up, but we're gonna, we're gonna jump there next to find out what exactly the Israelites were distracted by. I'm gonna take a drink while you're looking. We're gonna start in chapter one, verse one. says, in the second year of King Darius, so King Darius is now in charge, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. There's that doubt. You know, they didn't... Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, olive oil, everything else the ground produces on the people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Whew. God's calling them out. I mean, it's been 10 years and nothing has happened on the restoration of their faith, 
on the rebuilding of the temple. They've been very distracted. You ever get distracted by what God calls you to do? I have been distracted at times in my faith. And uh, there's been times where I have spent too much time and money on my paneled house instead of doing the things that God wanted me to do. There's been times where I've spent time and money on little trinkets and things, things that I think will bring me happiness and fulfillment. Uh, here I am using an, an analogy of restoring an old car. And friends, there have been times in my life where I have spent so much time and thought and energy researching old cars looking at trying to figure out which ones i would love to own even though i don't have any money to own them but i did that instead of researching and spending time gaining knowledge of god's word and which fruits of the spirit i would love to see in my life that is the thing i know god would love to give me But building up our own security and comfort is not what God calls us to do. God actually tells us to seek him first, then he will give us the things that we need. And, and Jesus talks about this very thing in uh, Matthew chapter 6. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Just like us, the Jews got the order backwards. But I tell you what, I am... So glad that God's mercy is bigger than our obstacles. Because he could have given up on them. I mean, he could have stood back and said, guys, 70 years. And you still didn't learn your lesson. I'm done with you. But he didn't. He didn't give up on them. And not only that, he spoke the exact encouragement that they needed to get that restoration project back on track. He says, I am with you. I got you. You don't have to fear. Keep going. We need to be reminded of that constantly, don't we? I am with you. And it's a good thing he did. All right, let's flip back to uh, Ezra chapter 6. Hopefully you kept your finger in that page in Ezra. But if not, you can find it. It's a good thing that God gave him that encouragement. Because wouldn't you know it, those nosy neighbors showed back up. Those same opposing voices that made them stop in the first place. <clears throat> And they're up to their old tricks again. And so this time they send a letter again to this time King Darius, who is now leading Persia. And so he issues an order. Hey, he says, hey, let's search the archives. Let's find out. Is there, is there something that allows these Jews to do what they're doing? 
And lo and behold, they find King Cyrus's original decree. And so he sent, the King Darius sends a letter back to the ones, these nosy neighbors from the trans-Euphrates area. He sends a letter back to them responding. And he first starts by, by restating the decree from King Cyrus. And then we're going to pick it up in verse 6. And you've got to hear this. This is epic. So verse 6. This is King Darius. He says, Now then, Tatanai, governor of trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and you other officials of that province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work of, on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild the house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, olive oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone defies this edict, a beam is to be pulled from their house and they are to be impaled on it. And for this crime, their house is to be made a pile of rubble. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. Boom! Right? I mean, that is a mic drop moment, not only for King Darius, but for God. He says, not only are you to let them rebuild the temple, but I'm going to make you pay for it. And if you try to stop them, you're done. And by the way, carry it out with diligence. So let's see how they respond. Verse 13. Then because of the decree of King Darius had, had sent, Tatanai, governor of trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozani and their associates, carried it out with diligence. I can't imagine why. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edu. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests and Levites and the rest of the exiles celebrated with the dedication of the house of God with joy. Listen, friends. God can overcome any obstacle you will face in your faith. Amen? But sometimes he, he needs to get our attention. And so he needed to remind the Jews that the fi- they have to take the final step. The final step is to rebuild the temple of God. He had to get them back on track. And it doesn't matter 
you know, that, that they were, uh, it doesn't matter if you've been away from God 70 years or 10 years or two months, God doesn't give up on you. And the enemy cannot stop the will of God. He will do whatever it takes to restore your faith. You know, this morning I got a text from Pastor Tamar that at the women's retreat, eight women chose to be baptized this morning at 7.30 a.m. in a lake. You think that was an obstacle to them taking a step in their faith? But God helped them overcome that obstacle so that they could take the next step in that restoration process. Praise God that God does not give up on us. But the reality is we'll all need a restoration of our faith at some point in our journey with God. It's inevitable. And in those moments when you're feeling broken and beat up, in the moments when you're feeling distant from God, maybe it's because of sin, remember that He has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. He's called you to rebuild His temple. And it's not, it's not a physical temple in Jerusalem these days. It's a temple that Jesus Christ provided for us when he sacrificed himself on the altar called a cross. And he made a way for God's presence to be with us in the most intimate way. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Should have it on the screen up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Yes, sir says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is the temple that God's calling you to rebuild right here. You were bought with a price. And though you may have some miles on you, you may have spent some time in the tree road in the back 40. God hasn't given up on you guys. He loves you. He's not willing to part with you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want you to reflect on what step God wants you to take in the restoration of your faith today. Do you need your heart to be rebuilt? Do you need new life breathed into you? Do you need to confess sins in order for that to happen? If that's you today, there's a honestly, there's a cross in the back and it has a little bench you can kneel at in front of it. Spend some time with God. Or maybe you want to write on a piece of paper back there what those sins are. And you can actually light it and burn it in the bowl that's on the altar table back there. Giving those as an offering to the Lord in order to receive forgiveness and a breath of new life. 
Maybe you need to rebuild some of the foundations of your faith today. Prayer, daily scripture reading, developing a, a, a rhythm of Sabbath, joining a small group. What will draw you closer to God? Maybe you need to stop listening to those opposing voices that keep you from doing what God has called you to do. What voices do you need God to silence in your life? Maybe you have a lot of distractions in, the, in life and you need to eliminate some of them. And sometimes, guys, these are you can do good things. It's not always like bad things that draw us away from God. Sometimes there's good things that draw us away from God. But if that's what's happening, then maybe they're not as good as you thought they were. And they need to be eliminated. Whatever step God wants you to take, guys, do it. Each step the Jews took towards rebuilding their faith led them to joy and celebration. You will never, ever regret taking a step that moves you closer to God. I can promise you that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that there is no restoration project too far gone for you. You bring dead things to life all the time. So, Father, we're asking you to reveal what next steps we need to take to see our faith restored. And I ask you to please silence any distracting voices so that we can hear from you. Father, some of us need our hearts restarted. We've we've just we're cold, we've grown cold to you, God. Show us which sins we need to repent of and breathe new life in us. Father, some of us need to build up the foundations of our faith. Show us where our foundation is weak and what we need to do to strengthen it. What habits or practices do we need to adopt that will draw us closer to you? Father, some of us are discouraged by opposing voices. reveal which are the voices that are not true in our lives that are not from you so that we can clearly hear the voice of truth that you speak in Jesus name I ask you to silence those negative voices from the enemy Silence them, God. And help us overcome that obstacle that leads to fear and doubt. And to step into what you have for us. 
And Father, lastly, I ask you to reveal what is distracting us from seeking you. Is there anything that we need to give up or stop doing so that we can make you more of a priority? Maybe it's just something that we we make too much of a priority and we need to lessen that so we can make more of you a priority. Father, I thank you for your word, for how it stretches us to go deeper with you. Give us the strength and courage to take that next step towards rebuilding your temple and in your restoration process of our faith. And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray.